just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hope you had an enjoyable and safe three-day weekend. It was kind of good to get back to some sense of normalcy for, for most of us with the area fireworks displays and things of the like. From my perspective, a couple different fireworks shows. We'll talk about it from a couple different aspects later on. But if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 Sent a, a note out. Uh, it is... My, my wife's family, they have a, a history, it's been going back for, for decades, really, of attending the Mon- Menominee Falls Parade. And then following the Menominee Falls Parade, there is a um, the, a big fireworks show at the high school. My stepdaughter actually goes out a day beforehand with some friends and um, sets the whole thing up, and they reserve space, and then the rest of us come and enjoy it. And it was, it was just a wonderful experience. The fireworks were absolutely incredible. I was sort of surprised then afterwards. Yesterday morning, when I heard that you you had a uh, one person who was is dead because they were hit by a car, and a second person who was was critically injured, the Menominee Falls Police do a, a really, really, I think, good job. But you you got a lot of people in a small area. For example, the the lot where we were in, which was like right across from the high school, um, we we left immediately after the fireworks show. But you had to be you know really careful because you've got thousands and thousands of people that are walking on the along the streets and you got people who are you got kids that are running in and out so you got to be really really careful and i thought the police did just an absolutely outstanding job of getting people out it took us about 15 minutes to get from the parking lot where we were up to appleton avenue and then out but apparently at this pick and save that was right down the street matter of fact that's where my brother and my nephew, who joined us for the the event, they parked. They left a little bit earlier, so they were gone before this. But it was a big parking lot, and the story is uh, an 18-year-old young lady um, with two juvenile passengers. They say she lost control of the car. I assume her foot slipped from the gas to the brake, the brake to the gas, or something like that. But, you know, hit a 24-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman from North Carolina, and the guy died. And, I mean, it just it's just one of these extremely, extremely unfortunate situations that mars what was an otherwise wonderful event. But I hope that whatever events that you attended, you were able to enjoy. Which brings us, though, to the dominant story of the day, this horrible story out of, out of Highland Park. And I think everybody knows by now, Highland Park is an affluent suburb of of Chicago. And the story is that a 21-year-old internet rapper named Robert Cremo III dressed up in women's clothes, drove his mother's car to the the parade site where they were having the parade, apparently used a ladder, climbed up on the roof of a building along the parade route, and, and then started opening fire, apparently randomly. I mean, they don't think that there was any ind- particular individuals who were, were targeted. Fired, I think they said they found like 80 shell casings, 24 people injured, six people killed. At least that's the, the current numbers that they have. And then he fled, and, and he ended up getting caught. Apparently dressed in women's clothing because... 
If you see the pictures of him, he's just got tattoos all over and the face tattoos and the high neck tattoos, easily recognizable. So apparently he, he dressed in women's clothing in order to hide, I, I guess, some of the tattoos or make it more difficult to identify him. That didn't work very well, and, and he was apprehended relatively quickly. But it's just another one of these horrible stories. They're not saying where the gun came from other than the gun was, was legally purchased and not saying exactly what type of firearm he used, but it was a high-powered rifle, and he, he just indiscriminately opened fire. There was nothing, I guess, he'd never been convicted of anything, so he would have been able to legally obtain the gun if, if he had, in fact, purchased the gun himself. I do, if you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 one of the, the, the stories, and I appreciate that hindsight is is 2020, but one of the stories that, that caught my attention is, and I've got a link to this. The, the kid's uncle, okay, the kid's uncle decides to go public and, and do, do an interview. And the, I've got a link to this story. The, the, the kid's uncle says, well, we're, we're just, we're, we're all shocked. There were no warning signs that he would carry out the attack. There were no signs that I saw that would make him do this. If I did say see signs, I would have said something. He was a real quiet kid. He keeps everything to himself and doesn't express himself. He just sits down on his computer. There's no interaction between him and me. And and I do, I mean, I understand that, okay, if if it's your relative, you don't exactly know what to say. But there, the comment, there were no warning signs. I mean, OMG, if you look back over this, this kid's background, um, you, you, see, you see drawings, you see jokes about school shootings, you see violent videos, you see online photos and lyrics promoting violence. For example, as the Washington Post describes, he posted videos with a voiceover show a computer, showing a computer-drawn image of a figure wearing what appears to be tactical gear, shooting a rifle with a person kneeling, hands raised, apparently begging for mercy, and another lying on the ground. But the uncle says there were no warning signs. Another clip shows a person appearing to be this guy wearing a helmet and a vest inside a classroom next to an American flag. The voiceover is imposed on a backdrop of dramatic instruments music. I need to leave now. I used to just do it. It is my destiny. Everything has led up to this. Nothing can stop me, not even myself. In another video, he says, freedom, 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 freedom. I hate it when others get more attention than me on the internet. It, it goes on and on. But I mean, the uncle says we, we saw no warning signs. Well, what do you mean you saw no warning signs? This was like Hansel and Gretel leaving the breadcrumbs. Another example of somebody who was obviously extremely disturbed who was able to get access to a firearm and then act out in this horrible, horrible fashion. I, I saw no warning signs. Well, with all due respect to the uncle, I, he must not have been looking very well because if you look at this kid's Internet postings over the course of the last two or three years, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, gee, pick out who is the next person likely to be the mass murderer, and I think you're going to see, you know, I think most people would have said, well, I think it's going to be this guy. None of which... You know, of course, brings back the victims and and gets over the horror of this. And once again, it demonstrates how vulnerable we are. We were talking a little bit about this. Like I said, I was at the Menominee Falls parade, 
And it was very interesting because for the at least I think it was the first time this year after what happened at the Waukesha Christmas Parade, authorities, they, they don't fool around with with security. They closed the streets, you know, a couple hours before the parade was supposed to start, which was typical. But then for a lot of the side streets that you might be able to come down to kind of get access to where the parade was, they, they were blocked off, not just by barricades, but by you know, garbage trucks and snow plows and things of the like. And, of course, a, a huge, a huge presence of police. But, you know, access to a lot of the areas where you could get on the immediate parade route, again, blocked off. It would have been possible for somebody to go around them, maybe, but it, it would not have been easy to do that. And I remember this was one of our sources of conversation going, man, is this, is this going to be the, the new normal? Because I confess, I have been to lots and lots of parades over the course of my lifetime, and security really has never been a, a, a concern. What, what are my concerns about going to parades? Well, it's, okay, am I going to be able to park somewhere close? How much of a hassle is it going to be? Am I going to get a good spot? I've never actively worried about security. And that's why, candidly, I thought, wow, this they're, they're now blocking access with street, with the, like snow plows and things of the like. And I understand why they're doing it, and I, and I applaud them for, for that level of security. But how do you dissolve this sort of thing? Here you have this obviously troubled psychopath dresses up as a woman, climbs on a ladder, climbs onto the roof of a building, and then starts indiscriminately opening fire. Well, all the snow plows blocking streets in the world aren't, aren't going to be able to stop that, where you have the psychopath with the gun who decides they want to act out in that fashion. Now, I don't want to have a conversation about gun control right now. Maybe we'll, we'll have that once more details emerge about how, how and where he got the firearm. But I want to talk about a question of basic security. Like I say, when I go to these parades, I, I've never ever, or the firework shows, I, I've never ever worried for my life. I, I've worried about all sorts of other things which are, are really trivial when you think about it. But now, in the back of our minds, do we have to think, oh, gosh, you know, this could be fill in the blank, X community, X village parade, fireworks show, whatever, you know, public picnic. This could be the scene of the next mass shooting, because the truth is, I don't know that there's much that authorities could ever do to stop, like I say, a psychopath like this. So my question is, are you are you concerned about security? Are you concerned about going to these large public gatherings or things like the second, the third, the fourth, stuff that is quintessential America and something that, you know, we, we never even thought of? Yeah, you, you, I think you could maybe think, gee, okay, maybe there's going to be a pedestrian that gets hit in a parking lot when, you know, somebody's not paying attention. But do, do we now have to start thinking about, gee, there might be a psycho up on the, the top of some building who's going to be shooting? Are you concerned about this? Will it make you more reluctant to go to a parade moving forward? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm not more reluctant, but I am definitely more aware of my surroundings. I hope I never get to the point where we let the terrorists, and that's what they are, change the fabric of the way we live. And yet, to some extent, they've succeeded because as a society, I think many of us are, are much more aware of how do we get out, where do we get away, if the unimaginable happens. Well, yeah, I think that's just the, the nature. Alex and Fond du Lac. Alex, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, I 
am kind of afraid to go to these events because I'm also completely blind, so I can't see what's going on, unfortunately. So, you know, for me, you know, it's kind of scary because Mm -hmm. um, of being completely blind and stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, and you're, and so you're obviously, you're depending on, you know, somebody else to help steer you in and out of, you know, the traffic. It's, it's probably, it's probably challenging enough to begin with, much less you add all these other things in, these concerns about what happens if the unimaginable happens. Well, and, and also, I was listening to some of these interviews yesterday, and they were actually interviewing the business owner, and, she couldn't even believe what was even oh, yeah. going on. Oh yeah, no, th- thanks. Like, for, no, thank. I, I mean, it, it's just. I, I think that's the reaction that that everybody has. Thanks for the call, Alex. Jeff, I am concerned, and I hope in the future the best possible security measures are used, since this seems to be the new reality. I'm also considering not going with my grandchildren to parades, parades, and similar events. It makes me sad to say it, but this is where we are now. Well, I, I just. You know, the, look, and I understand this is a cliche, but so bear with me. <laughs> but but you know, if if we stop, if we let the the random psycho, if we let the terrorist change our way of life, okay, so we're we're not going to go to parades anymore, and we're not going to go to fireworks shows, and we're not going to go to community picnics because we're afraid that the unthinkable might happen. We really have given in to the psychos and the and the terrorists and things of the like. And, and plus, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that changes the dynamic. So if you have the kook that doesn't go to the 4th of July parade, so what's he going to do? Go go to a shopping mall or, or something, unless we cancel all public events. And I just I don't think that that is reasonable or realistic. I, I do think one of the things this demonstrates is kind of the see something, say something sort sort of matter. And I'm sorry, with all due respect to this this person's uncle you you look at at the stuff this person was posting on the internet you look at just the the history of of this guy and and there were all sorts of red flags i think that were in fact out there indicating that at least at least maybe we should be having like really serious conversations about whether she should have had access to a firearm and i appreciate of course that you know hindsight is 2020 but um yeah one of our textures says it depends on the venue i think summerfest security is very good um but you know in other venues with less security non-gated areas you know i think there's more of a reason to be concerned well yeah i mean that that's you know summerfest state fair American Family Field, there's all sorts of controls. There's controlled entrances. There's controlled exits. You go through metal detectors. I my, my Summerfest press pass has a little metal thing on it. keeps setting off the metal detector, but that's okay. You know, they then wand me down when I go in there. But I, I don't mind that. But it's a completely different situation when you're talking about X thousands of people that are pouring into and the, the downtown Menominee Falls to watch the parade or downtown Cedarburg to watch the parade and, and things like that or, or the fireworks shows at the lakefront. I mean, you, you just you do not have that degree of security. You can't set up magnetometers. You can't set up those things. So you do, I think, have to depend on um, d- depend on, again, see something, say something to try to alert us to the people who were doing this. Jeff, the government can't be there 24-7 to protect you. You need to learn to be situationally aware, have a plan, and how to protect yourself. Then you're a lot less likely to become a victim. Well, I, I understand that, but 
at the same time, it, it's unfortunate that we've come to this point where, hey, we're going to the we're going to the parade on the Fourth of July. We're going to go to the Whitefish Bay, you know, Fourth of July parade. It's unfortunate that you now have to say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to take a pair of binoculars with me because I'm going to scan the rooftops to see if some crazy person has de- dressed as a as, as as a member of the opposite sex has crawled onto a, a roof with a rifle and. You know, there's only, but it's true, there's only so much government can do to protect you. I guess as frustrated as I am, and believe me, I'm frustrated with this, you don't want to see this change our lifestyle. We do, however, I think need to do a much better job of seeing something, saying something, and be willing to address these fringe elements of society. Like I say, people who exhibit all sorts of warning signs of being mass shooters, maybe we can at least focus some attention on them before they actually go out and commit the acts. So, very glad to have you with us. Former Marquette Golden Eagle, Green Bay Phoenix, Wisconsin Badger, and Milwaukee Panther basketball stars reunite to help raise money for charity and to prove who is still number one on the court. Head to the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone at Summerfest this Friday afternoon at 2.30, where alumni from each university will compete in a series of shooting competitions, all to support the four great charitable organizations, Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Milwaukee, Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Green Bay, Guarding Against Cancer, and the Mac Fund. So be sure to check that out. All right. Now, I don't know where you were on the 4th of July, but I, I went to a couple events, went to a couple different fireworks shows, and where I went, it was extremely crowded. You know, and, and that that's fine. It was great to see people getting back to normal. I, I don't know, for example, if there were more people at the Menominee Falls uh, parade this year than, than two or three years ago. But but there were a lot of people that were out there. I do know that um, could have probably used some more porta potties because if you needed the porta potties, the line was fifteen or twenty minutes long. But when you got to go, you you got to go. But the point is, there were a lot of people that were out there that were enjoying the fireworks show and they they were celebrating America. As I said on the program last Friday. I, I understand that we have our divisions. We have red states. We have blue states. I understand that we are divided in some of our approaches to political issues. And I certainly understand that we are a country that's divided on certain social issues, say the, the abortion question. But I have always believed that there is more that unites us than separates us. I also firmly believe that this is a great country. And, you know, I I don't see too many people who are deciding that they want to leave this country. And I see a heck of a lot of people trying to do everything they can to get into this country. Which brings me, and I have a link to this story, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to to a story about both locally and, you know, nationally. You have a number of Hollywood celebrities who are unhappy that Roe versus Wade was reversed and unhappy that the decision regarding abortion was put back in the hands of the people. That is the state legislatures, because that's what happened. I mean, you have 
you know, a number of states that still have pretty much unlimited access where people have unlimited access to abortion. You have some states where there, there's pretty good access to abortion. You have a handful of states where it's dramatically restricted. But the point is, it, it's it's the will of the people through their elected representatives. All right. So you have a handful of people in Hollywood who are extremely upset about this. For example, Kate, and well, let me read you part of the story. Katy Perry, Bette Midler, and Jessica Chastain were just a few of the many Hollywood stars engaging in social media protests against Independence Day in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling that overturned Roe versus Wade. So they're protesting the 4th of July because the Supreme Court said uh, essentially individual states get to decide, you know, when, if, and how long, if you're pregnant, you can have an abortion. Um, let's see, Katy Perry, um, she was the one who, you know, she was the, the first one, you know, she said, baby, you're a firework, is a 10, that's her show. But women in the U.S. have fewer rights than actual sparklers, shaking my head. Um, then you have Bette Midler, who, of course, you know, waded in. And Bette Midler has waded in on social issues in the past. And a lot of times I think she's a great performer. But um, a lot of the stuff that she said, she's had to kind of back off. But here's what she says. She says, the 4th of July has been canceled following a shortage of independence. Sincerely, women. Women of the world, we are being stripped of our rights over our bodies, our lives, and even of our name. They don't call us women anymore. They call us birthing people or even people with vaginas. Don't let them erase you. Every human on earth owes you. Huh. I'm not sure what that second part necessarily means because it's generally the, the people that I think of appeal to, you know, the same politics as Bette Midler, who, you know, talk about women as being birthing people. Then you've got uh, Jessica Chastain. Um, not much to celebrate this fourth, I'm afraid. Um, let's see. The um, sooner our nation v- v- works away from this precipice, the better it will be. Okay, you get the idea. Then, of course, there was a story in the local newspaper. There isn't anything worth celebrating. Hundreds protest overturning of Roe versus Wade on Independence Day. Hundreds convened at a park in downtown Milwaukee, Red Arrow Park. This is the People's Independence Day protest. The protesters marched to the courthouse in the federal building. Their chanting rang out through the streets. My body, my choice. Keep your rosaries off our ovaries. Hey ho, hey ho, the Supreme Court has got to go. And again, they were saying that uh, this is just this is terrible. You know, the fact that the Supreme Court's repealed Roe versus Wade, there's nothing worth celebrating in this country. We're not celebrating Independence Day. There's nothing worth celebrating anymore. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, given the huge crowds at the events that I at least attended, you know, over the course of the weekend, my sense was a lot of people didn't get the memo that the 4th of July w- was being canceled by some of the Hollywood elites and some of the people who were upset about abortion. But th- this reaction is that this is just not a country worth living in anymore. This is absolutely terrible because now the question of when and how you have an abortion is, is turned back over to the-, the state legislators. And then, of course, Michael Moore. Yeah, Michael Moore. Yeah, he's, isn't he one of the guys that said he was heading to Canada? Well, he's still around. 
He's uh, he waded in over the fourth, saying that he cannot, in good conscience, continue to accept full citizenship privileges. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that that's it. So, to which I think a lot of us would say, Michael, there's Canada. You know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Well, people get the right to protest everything and anything they want, and, and that's all well and good. But I am intrigued by this idea that, oh, we, we can't celebrate America's independence anymore. This is just this terrible country. Oh, we've got this war on this, or we've got this war on that, and it's just absolutely awful. I'm sorry. I do not buy it. And I think some of these extreme sort of reactions to some of these decisions candidly turn more people off than turn them on. So should we cancel the 4th of July because, well, the Supreme Court said, okay, abortion isn't a constitutional right. It's a statutory thing that needs to be decided by the states. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Jeff, if these raging Hollywood lefties are so unhappy with the freedom to choose in this great country, see ya. They should just leave. Jeff, the singer Pink posted on Facebook that if you're a pro-life supporter, I don't want you listening to my music. My reply, no problem. <laughs> You've got that there. Jeff, I think many of these Hollywood types actually, I don't even think they know what happened. I think they don't realize that the Supreme Court leaves it up to individual states. I think most of them think it's a total abortion ban. They're knuckleheads. Jeff, mock all you want, but the Supreme Court's decision has stripped women of their rights to body autonomy. Body autonomy. This country is going backwards, and I completely understand why people are feeling the way they do. Body o- autonomy. I guess I, I, I if that means no here, here's what here's what the legislatures have the right to do. They have the right to balance out the interests of the mother, the the woman in not carrying an unwanted pregnancy to term and having the uh, the elective abortion versus the right of the unborn child. And that, that's, that's what it is. It's an unborn child. And to me, I, I've always seen a balancing. I've talked about this issue before, and, I've, I, and I understand when I discuss it, I make people on the left and I make people on the right un, unhappy about it. I think, again, that's why I've supported things like the Mississippi law or the Florida law that says elective abortions up to a point, 14 weeks, 15 weeks, 16 weeks, what, whatever, are are fine, um, and that covers 94, 95% of the abortions. And then, you know, abortions after that, because of medical emergencies, are, are fine. And I, I think that's actually where the majority of, of America is, that this idea of body autonomy, well... At, at some point in time, the, the child you are carrying, and it is a child, ha- has rights as well. That's what makes the whole question of abortion so tricky. And it's why I think you need to have that balancing. It's why I think the majority of people in this country would support some sort of middle ground legislatively like I do. But at the same time, this is something that you work out in the legislatures. This idea, oh, this country is just terrible. Sorry, I just don't think that that's where most people are on this. Jeff, thankfully for most of us, the people who made those comments are completely irrelevant to most of the rest of us. And thankfully, I'm smart enough not to vote according to what Hollywood and famous people say. Well, there is, you know, something like that. Jeff, watching the crowd yesterday at the Brewers game when God Bless America was being sung was awesome. 
all the people standing with hands over their hearts and hats, many of them with tears in their eyes, was truly inspiring and gave me hope for America. Yeah, I saw that. We were at a cookout at some friend's house in, in the West Bend area, and I was watching some of the game, and, and I saw that. And you had 42,000 people at the ball game yesterday, and you had people standing, Cubs fans, Brewers fans, standing together, and, and everybody just celebrating America, which tells me that what I said on Friday was accurate. And I I understand we have divisions, and I understand that there's significant political divisions. And believe me, I understand that we have all sorts of of issues, whether it's issues with race problems or issues with crime problems, and we're all experiencing the economic problems. But I continue to believe that at the end of the day, for most of us, there is much more that unites us than separates this. and I think that's just the, you know, factor. Um, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, absolutely leave it up to the states. Allow it to a certain point. But, again, it's up to the states. And here's celebrities spewing off. Don't listen to their music if you believe certain things. Look at the freedoms that they have been allotted. Look at the type of money they've made off their ability to be free and to sing and say the things they want to be booked at different stages. That is the ultimate irony, that you have some of these people who have made just a, a live, not just a living, but are rich beyond the, the dreams of avarice, who now think that, let's take Michael Moore as an example of that, who think this is just such a terrible country, and this is just so awful, and, and by the way, you know, rent the DVDs of my movies so I can continue to collect, you know, more money. Just, just saying there's these different things about that that's all out there. Jeff, I went to a Holt Chevy car show yesterday. It was wall-to-wall people. Most were wearing patriotic clothing. It was absolutely great to see. Yeah, I think that's where most people are, and I do think this is one of these things. And I, I, I don't know how the whole abortion question is going to cut in November. I tend to think for the midterm elections, it's going to be a wash. Some people disagree with me, but I think that you, you've got a lot of people who are pro-life who are going to vote one way. You've got a lot of people who are pro-choice or pro-abortion or whatever you want to call it on the other side. And that's about 15% on either side. And I think they tend to wash each other out. And for 70% of the people, the people in the middle might have an opinion as to where you should be on that question, but it's not their driving voting issue. That's at least kind of how I see it. So I think it's going to be a wash. But I, I could be wrong, especially in a state like Wisconsin, where we're very, very close and evenly divided. But the truth of the matter is, I I think that sort of the crazier people get on either side, we're canceling the 4th of July. People have nothing to, you know, respect about this country because of the reversal of Roe versus Wade. I think for the majority of people, you kind of roll your eyes and say that overplays the hand. Here's a text. Jeff, it is a fetus. It is not an unborn child. Keep your religion to yourself. Well, to me, it has nothing to do with religion. Fetus is an unborn baby or an unborn child. That's by definition, and that's why women who lose a baby in the first couple months don't say, hey, I lost a fetus. They say, we, we lost a, a baby. That, that's how you describe it. And I mean, I, look, I, I think I have a, a moderate common sense approach on this. It, it is 
it is a, a fetus is an unborn baby. And what the balancing is, and I understand that there's some people who are pro-choice or pro-abortion or whatever who want to pretend it's something other than that. To me, the question is the balancing of the rights of the mother to have control over her body versus the rights of the unborn child. And there's a balancing. And that's why, like I say, I support some of these laws that would uh, allow elective abortions up to 14, 15, 16 weeks. At that point in time, then you have to recognize that the unborn child has rights as well. And yes, it is, in fact, an unborn child. And if that makes some people uncomfortable, sorry. Sorry, but that's just the reality of it. All right. When we come back in the next hour, I want to talk about a situation that's gone national. It's it's sort of a George Floyd case, but in many respects, it, it's a lot more complicated than that. We're going to discuss that. The female basketball player who has been detained in Russia. It's a fascinating case to me. Um, She is now appealing directly to Joe Biden to help get her out of jail. We're going to be discussing that. And President Biden says gas stations need to lower their prices. We're going to talk about all that and a lot more. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spaulding, I have some breaking news for you here. Can All you right, what's up? WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin's radio station is moving to the avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Follow our progress all summer long as we embark on a journey to our new home. The avenue is vibrant, exciting, plus you'll be able to come out and see us. WTMJ's move to the avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interior, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. Did you know that we're moving? I've, I've heard a rumor. Well, and here is, of course, the interesting thing, because they're, they're doing it in two phases, and most of... Most of WTMJ is going to be moving in three weeks. Be, they will be gone. I, I, three this weeks. Building's going to feel even emptier than it does right now. Than it does right now, because um, all the 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 non you and I are part of the content team. We're the on air are people, which is really actually a very. It, it takes a lot of people to keep us on the air, <laughs> so it's really a, a very small number. But yeah, three three weeks from now, everybody else is going to be gone, and then there's just going to be like a handful of us that are going to be left. Have you started packing your desk up yet? Well, yeah, it's funny. Next? It's funny you mention that because I, I've I've been here for twenty four, twenty five years, and you accumulate a lot of stuff, so. Several months ago, I, I went into, I was just looking at all the stuff, which is another word for crap, that I had accumulated over all these years. And recognizing that this day was going to come at some point in time, I started clearing out stuff and, and just like throwing it away or the, the things that I wanted. And so it was interesting because one of our, our coworkers, one of our teammates, said, I saw Jeff Wagner like clearing clearing out his desk. You know, what's going on? And then I get a note from our general manager. What, what's going on here? I said, I, I heard you were clearing out your stuff. I said, no, I was clearing off the desk, which is completely different. But it is funny that you mention that because knowing this is coming, I brought in a banker's box today, and I actually – the, the only stuff that is left that I want to, I think, take home, I put in a banker's box, and I'm going to take it home. So I'm I'm ahead of this. But we, you and I, are not moving until um, end of September, I think. That's yeah, we'll the deal. be here. I think the last week of September is the latest that we got. So I hope right. people come out and have signs like the Today Show, you know, how you can look outside <laughs> behind, like, Hoda and Jenna, and they have, the, they have the signs that say, like, go Wagner, go. That's what I'm hoping happens with the big windows. <laughs> yes, we're, yes, that, that, that's how you feel. I, I, I'm, I'm a little more ambivalent about being the boy in the bubble. But yes, you make the point about it's going to be set up like 
sort of like our state fair facility. I mean, not quite, but but you know, we will be people can come and watch us. I, I doubt that there's going to be too watching someone talk into the microphone is always sort of a. a you, you, you do it for five minutes, say, oh, that's what he or she looks like, and after that, you kind of move on. Yeah, oh, wow, they're still sitting there, huh? <laughs> they're still sitting there, okay. still talking yeah, into that yeah. microphone. But, yes, yeah, so WTMJ is moving, but if, you, if you've if you ever had a desire to, like, run through the halls in your underwear or something, you know, coming, coming up pretty soon, there's not going to be too many people here to catch you doing that, so... That is something that we will all look forward to. The one thing I'm not going to miss, walked in the building this morning, there was this really odd smell. <laughs> it's It was must, I, I would describe it as musty would be a charitable way to do it. So I, don't, I don't think I'm going to break any news here um, or any confidentiality laws, but I heard that someone from our friends down the hall at TMJ4 melted a paper plate in the microwave. Hmm. And it lingered over this way. And so, yes, at 5 a.m., you got a great smell of something. Oh, okay. I've heard well, a lot of descriptions about it. it, 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 it no, it was kind of like musty. And I, I assumed that the roof was leaking again. It was just kind of like, like wet cardboard or something like that or kind Combo of like. all those things yeah, together. All, all that together. Like like when your dog goes out and your dog gets like 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 really wet and stuff. But in any event, we are moving. That's it. But um, in just a couple of weeks, it's going to be just, it's going to be Mike and, and me and Charlie, my producer, and a couple other people. And that's going to be it. We're, we've got the station to ourselves. How scary a thought is that? When we come back, let me take a very quick break. I want to talk about this very serious story about what's going on in Akron. They had to cancel their 4th of July celebration because of a fear of, of unrest. I want to explain what happened. Then I want to open up the phone lines and get your reaction as to whether the police handled this situation improperly. Stick around. And by the way, we are broadcasting live from Summerfest. This is the third weekend of Summerfest. It really is going to be interesting to see after we go through this, how how people feel about spreading Summerfest out um, over three weekends. And I'll be down there Thursday and Friday. And Thursday night, as a matter of fact, going to, I'm going to go to, I haven't been to any of the amphitheater shows this year, but I'm going to see Rod Stewart and Cheap Trick on Thursday night. So I will be dragging Friday morning. No question about that. When you get a little bit older, it's tough to stay out late, but we'll work it out. All right. I want to tell you about what happened in Akron. Um, It was a week ago yesterday at 1230 in the morning. Here's the deal. The police see a car that's driving, and I don't know if it's got a busted taillight or, or something like that, you know, busted taillight, busted headlight, whatever. They, they see the car driving. They try to pull it over. They pull, put on, like, the, the you know, the, the bubble lights and stuff to pull over the car. Instead of the driver of the car <clears throat> pulling over, at which point in time the police say if he had pulled over, what would have happened? He would have probably gotten probably a warning or, at worst, a, a ticket for an equipment violation. Instead of pulling over, the car takes off. A, the police officer who tried to pull the car over begins th- the chase. And so the car pulls away at a high rate of speed, quickly getting up to like 80 miles an hour. The police, the squad car, is following them. After a couple minutes into the chase, it appears that the driver of the car that is fleeing from the police fires a shot back at the police. I mean, they see, and I'll give you more details about this in just a minute, but 
they see the officer who's following it sees a flash and like here's a, a shot. So it looks like the driver has fired a shot at the police. Well, at, at this point in time, all right, once once you shoot at the cops, okay, you've now escalated this. And at this point in time, you know, they put out the all-points bulletin and a number of other police cars, you know, join in the chase. Um, a couple minutes into the pursuit, the guy who is driving the car slows the car down. And while the car is still moving, he jumps out of the car on the passenger side of the vehicle wearing a ski mask. All right. He then starts running. Several officers chase him on foot. At least one officer tries to to get him with a, a taser gun, but they don't hit him. It doesn't work. At that point in time, as they're running, you know, one of the officers says that they saw the guy kind of reach his, his hand and sort of reach down, you know, tor- towards his, his belt. Now, keep in mind, the officers think this guy is armed. The guy, officers think, well, he fired a shot at him. So, you know, once they see him kind of reach, um, a number of officers open fire, and it's a hail of bullets. Like, there's there's several officers, and there, there's like 40, 50, 60 bullets that, that are shot at the guy who is running away, who they think was starting to turn and, and maybe reaching for what they perceive to be a gun. They shoot him. He's dead as a result of this. They go back to the car, and they find a gun, and they find a shell casing. So I, I don't know that they found the bullet yet, but it is consistent with the first officer saying, hey, the, the guy fired at us because they find the gun, that they find the shell casing. The man who was shot was wearing a ski mask. He was identified subsequently as Jalen Walker. He was not carrying a gun when he was shot. So I think a fair inference of what happened is he had the gun with him. He fired the shot, you know, at the police as they were chasing him. But then he left the gun in the car and started running away. So he was unarmed, although he was wearing a ski mask, as he was fleeing from the police. Yeah, like I say, a gun and a loaded magazine were found in the driver's seat of the vehicle. Spent shell casing was um, found near the scene where the initial gunshot was fired. They haven't yet matched up ballistics to that as of yet. Uh, The police say while the guy's movements as he's running are hard to distinguish from a video, a still photo appears to show him going to his waist area, and another appears to show him turning towards an officer. A third captures a forward motion of the arm. So the police are saying, hey, we're chasing this guy. We believe him to be armed because he fired a shot at the cops, and, and you know we, we think he was getting ready to shoot again. Now, he didn't have a gun with him, as it turned out, but it's dark. The police don't know that. All right, this has... This has, of course, and by the way, he's black. This has created this huge controversy. The city had to cancel its 4th of July fireworks show Monday. They had to issue a downtown curfew, and family officials of the, the guy, they're you know calling for protests to remain peaceful. The family's attorneys criticized police for wanting to turn the guy into a masked monster with a gun. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, we we don't 
shoot people for fleeing from the police. That's just the, the reality of this. At the same time, police have the right to defend themselves. And I think the uncontroverted facts are going to be you have a guy pull and rather than pull over when the police try to pull him over, he takes off. He fires a shot while he's driving, you know, back from the driver's side window. He fires a shot at the police and then he gets out and he tries to flee and he he makes I don't know. It's late at night. It's dark. So nobody exactly sees what happened. But the police think they're chasing a guy who's already shot at them. They believe he makes a I'm going to call it a furtive movement or a reach towards his waist. And then several police officers open fire and they they fire a lot of bullets, which is what they are taught to do. Our number 855-616-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line under these circumstances. What should the police have done? Were they justified in firing at this guy under these circumstances? Or should they have, I, I don't know, let him get away? They tried to taser him. That did not work. He was fleeing. 855-616-1620. The community is completely on edge about this. How should the police have handled it if they should have handled it differently? 855-616-1620. We discuss. <laughs> 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's interesting from our, our text, a lot of the reaction is, well, why did the police fire so many shots? Because the, the shots were fired in a, in a period of like nine or ten seconds. When what, what happened is you've got a number of police officers that are chasing this guy that they believe to be armed, who has shot at, who has shot at um, them, from but before when the car was going on um and a, a number of police officers they essentially emptied their weapons is what they did and that i mean officers are taught to fire till they they stop the threat so here you have like six officers who all shoot as many uh, bullets as they have in their pistols so what's that like eight or nine and so that's why you have just an enormous amount of shots that are are fired but they're fired in a very limited period of time uh some people are pointing to that as you know why did they have to shoot so many times 855-616-1620 does that change the equation let's start with pam and franklin pam you're on wtmj hi thank you for taking my call i just have to say that I am so tired every day we hear stories like this. Why are we memorializing the thugs, the criminals, wearing a ski mask? This is a daily basis. You know, police officers just want to go home, and I I don't question how many times they shot. They want to go home at night to their families, too. And I'm sorry, I think the parents failed this thug. I mean, we were taught back in the day, you respect police officers. Um, They're no different than us. They're doing their job. No, I don't question how many times they fired. If he would have pulled over, this would have been a different story. Why did he have a gun in the car? Why did he have a ski mask? Why didn't he stop? Yeah, well, thanks. Well, I think some of those answers might be be interrelated because... He had a gun, and he had a loaded firearm, and he had a ski mask in, in the car. Now, I don't know why he had the ski mask in the middle of summer. Don't know why he had the loaded gun. But my guess is that might have been one of the reasons that, that caused him to run from the police in the first place. But but you're, you're exactly right. This... 
And, and the, the police chief was saying, look, this is this is what happens when you escalate these these situations. I mean, running from the police in the first step that that changes the character of this. But then when, when you take a shot at the police officer and and I think there doesn't appear to be much questions. Like I say, they're still looking at the ballistics. They haven't found the, the bullet. They found the shell casing at the scene where they think the original shot came from. And then they found the, the loaded gun in in the car. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to all match up. So I, I don't think there's any question that, that that's their version of that is what happened. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to uh, Mary in Port Washington. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Hi, Mary. Um, listen, I have a completely different point of view than the last caller. I want to know why we have to shoot to kill. If someone's running, and I'm not even talking about all the circumstances, the reason we don't know why to all those questions is because the person is dead. We have trained marksmen. The police go through a lot of training. Why can't they shoot him in the leg and bring him down? If you want to know the questions, it's very possible he had a mental illness. There's a million reasons why all this happened. But we will never know because that person is not alive. And secondly, I know everyone thinks that the police want to go home and want to be safe and everything. I also believe it takes a little bit of your soul when you kill someone. Whether or not it's in the line of duty, whether or not you're at war, killing people we've all been taught is wrong. So I think we skip over some moral responsibility. And the third thing is, I don't remember the last time. In your your situation, you think that it's 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning, you think that the police should be shooting to wound as opposed to shooting to kill? Well, especially this circumstance, because we didn't have someone with a high-powered, multiple-round weapon shooting at them. Mm -hmm. Correct? Nobody was returning fire. It's one person running. So take him down. Find out what's going on. Well, I guess the, what know, the police say is the reason they, the police say the reason they fired was because they thought he was like they, they thought he still had the gun. Now he didn't. He had the gun originally, but they thought he was like reaching for the the gun, and that's why they felt they had to shoot. Right. Well, and I'm not disagreeing with that particular point. My point is that he was not at any time firing with a multiple round weapon. It wasn't like he had one of those high-powered rifles and was shooting and spraying everybody. It was one shot, two shots, whatever. But if you want to know why people are doing things, you have to be able to ask them. So why did six officers have to shoot for one person? Right. Well, that would be my first point. Okay. Good enough, Mary. Mary, thanks. No, I heard. I got it. Thanks. Thanks. I got to take a break because I'm up against the clock with the news. But all right, we'll we'll use that as a launching point. Mary, she says, well, that we should have tried to shoot and wound him and then you could ask questions and and things of the like and he um you know didn't have a high powered rifle now he had i mean they found they found a pistol again with a loaded magazine in the car so that would have given him the ability to shoot you know seven or eight more shots i would imagine but but i mean her question is why why did all these officers have to open fire at once and shouldn't maybe one person have just been shooting to wound A number of you are, are making th- this point as well in response to our last caller, who one of the questions he was asking is, well, why did the police have to fire so many times, and, and why wasn't somebody shooting to, to wound, to, to shoot, try to shoot him in the legs or something? And I, I, I mean, having been in law enforcement for a number of years, I, I can tell you that law enforcement, it isn't like the movies. It, it's not like TV, where in the Western, the guy pulls out his gun and he shoots the other person in, in the hand and knocks the gun out of his hand. 
right or wrong, law enforcement people are, are, are only allowed to use deadly force when they can, when they reasonably believe that they are presented with deadly force. In other words, they, they need to use deadly force to either save themselves or, or someone else. When that situation arises, that's, they, they are then taught to shoot to <clears throat> stop the, the threat, which is why you, you always have, you know, officers that generally speaking, they, they'll, they'll empty, if, if you've got nine or ten shots in your, in your gun, in your pistol, they'll, they'll, they'll fire multiple shots in order until the, the person falls. And, and they do this in a the, – the whole shooting incident, I think, took less than 10 seconds. Now, in this case, you had multiple police officers who were chasing after him. They all had their guns drawn. When they thought the guy was going to turn and shoot at him, they exercised, again, their prerogative. They used deadly force because they were afraid the guy was going to shoot them or – one of their, like the officer, an individual officer, or you know his or her, you know fellow officers. But, but that's, it's, officers aren't trained to, to shoot to wound. And and by the way, you're you're not allowed to shoot a, a fleeing felon. What apparently triggered the desire to fire is their belief that the guy still had the gun with him, and the fact that that he was was turning didn't appear to be surrendering himself at all, but w- was turning, and they were afraid he was going to fire on him. So. That's why they fired so many shots, and that's why they they didn't fire. It. Let's try to like shoot him in the legs or or whatever. That's just how they're trained. Now maybe you can argue that they they shouldn't be trained in in that fashion. Maybe they should argue we should try to find better marksmen or things like that. But right now that's not how, and that's never been how police officers are trained. If you're entitled to use deadly force, and you're only entitled to use it in situations where you are protecting yourself or others from similar deadly force, then and you're, you're taught to shoot until the threat is down. 855-616-1620. Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff, for taking my call. Hi, Mike. Over 20-year, long-time listener here, and I uh, just love your show, so thanks so much for taking my call today. Yes, sir. Um, when I heard this story, when I heard this story, I'm just so frustrated because this story is no different than the one that was just up in Minnesota. And the common denominator every single time is two things. They run away when they were asked to stop, number one, and everyone settles with local um, uh, village officials for two, three million dollars in each and every case. I am so frustrated that we, the taxpayers, have to pay for this every single time. It's without reason that you know, it goes without saying, when you're asked to stop, you're supposed to stop. I mean, I, I advise everybody, if you really want to see what happens in another world, drive down to Mexico and try that same scenario. Drive away from cops shooting at them as you're fleeing. I guarantee you in Mexico, the worst, if the same, if not worse, will happen to you. And I'm just so frustrated to hear this story each and every time that it happens. Well, well Mike, thanks. For, I mean, again, that that does go back to the the basic premise, and I I do think there's a, there's a couple there's a couple questions because, like I said, just just running from police doesn't give police a right to kill you, but at the same time. Again, it's another one of these stories where you have a series of bad decisions made by, in this case, the guy that ended up getting shot. Should have pulled over and should have stopped. Don't know why he took off, but on the other hand, again, if, if you've got a loaded handgun in the car and you've got a ski mask, that, there, that might explain one of the reasons why you decided to flee. I don't know if the guy has a criminal record or not. I don't. 
didn't hear, hear that he had a concealed carry permit or something like that. Don't know if he would have necessarily needed them. But my guess is that maybe the fact that he had a loaded handgun and a ski mask in the car were one of the reasons why he decided to run. Still doesn't justify him being killed by the police. But then, okay, once you're in the high-speed chase, then you make the decision to fire a shot at police. And I don't think anybody argues that that's pretty much what happened here. Then you've ratcheted this up to a whole different level because the police who are following, they don't know that. I mean, all they know is that that there's a guy that's running from them and who's now fired on on them. And so when that person then gets out of the car and, and tries to run, I think the police have to assume that you have somebody who is armed and is dangerous, who is now fleeing from them. They tried to use the taser for whatever reason that doesn't work. And if in fact it's true that the, the still photos show that he was kind of reaching towards his waist. I guess the question is, is it reasonable for the police to believe that he still had the weapon with him? He didn't, but is it reasonable? They don't know that. Is it reasonable for the police to believe that he still had the weapon with him? And then then do you have to, to shoot? I do think a lot of people have trouble with the why did they have to shoot so many times? And I, I, I think I've explained what the police rationale is. Whether you buy that or not, I, I don't know. But they're they're taught to subdue the threat. In this case, you had five or six police officers who were chasing what they believed to be an armed guy who had already fired on them, and that that's how they responded. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Glenn. Glenn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff. Hi Glenn. Great show. Thank you so much. And uh, I was born in Akron, Ohio, and they chased him for over eight miles in the city limit. If you know Akron, that's a very long way. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking at the national news, the pictures that they had, they're showing the gun, the magazine, and a wedding ring laying in the pile in the seat. I I just feel that uh, if you do the math, that's about seven and a half rounds per police officer, which they said was eight. And I just believe he was committing suicide by a police officer that night, unfortunately. So you think that this was just, for for whatever reason, his actions were all designed at some point in time to kind of provoke this sort of response, and he had decided he wanted to die in a hail of bullets he, or something? He had lost, I believe he had lost his fiance about a year ago. That's why the wedding ring was laying there with the gun. Hmm. And I believe he was just uh, trying to commit suicide. He also, uh, he, he, he was a working man, and he did not have a record, yeah. according to what I heard. But he lost his fiance about a year ago, and uh, the wedding yeah. ring is seen in the picture there. For some reason, he took that off and put it with the gun. Yeah. Uh, that just leads me to believe it's suicide by police officer again. Yeah, Glenn, I, I don't, yeah, thanks for, and of course, we're never going to know this, and I, I, I am, I, our caller before the break, Mary, who was you know saying, well, you know, it's it's too bad. What the police should be doing is trained to try to restrain him so you can find out maybe there's mental illness or whatever. In this case, they did use, I mean, they tried to use a taser, and it, it didn't work. And I don't know if they hit him and he kept running or whether they just, just missed him with this. It, it's an unfortunate situation. But, again, I you, you can always second-guess the, the police, but I, I all... All I always invite people to do is put yourself in that police officer situation where, okay, you, you pull somebody over for a, a minor thing. And all you, you think all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to give somebody a ticket or maybe I'm just going to give them a warning or whatever. And then, then the person takes off and then the person shoots at you. And then the person gets out of the car and starts a moving car and starts running on foot and then 
arguably, okay, it's late at night, so nobody can see exactly what happens. So, and then arguably makes what I'm describing as a furtive movement, you know, reaching towards their, your waistband or whatever. I mean, seriously, what, what are the police supposed to do at that point in time? Because he didn't have a gun, but they did not know that he had left the gun back in the car. So are you supposed to allow him to turn and, and get off a couple shots before you, you shoot? That, that's that's a tough thing to ask police officers to do. Now, we don't we don't train police officers to wait until you're directly fired on. And I think I, I think most people in law enforcement would advise you that you can't wait to do something like that. In this particular case, hindsight being 2020, knowing that he left the gun in the car. Yeah, there, there was there was no reason to shoot. You could have tackled him or whatever. But they didn't know that he had left the gun in the car. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Maxine. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I'm sorry, Marnie. Marnie, good afternoon. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I love this conversation. And thank you so much for doing it and trying to do it so unbiasedly. It's it's unbiased. It's so hard because I think it fuels a lot of um, emotion in people. and what I wanted to say, I think uh, our hope, I mean, I'm, I'm a school teacher. The hope is to help this, these, the people that are in these situations before it gets to this point, right? And I think as we learn as a society what needs to be done, um, it, for example, in Appleton, I, they have a mental health officer, I think one of the first of its kind, um, where it, it, they're trained to deal with these situations before it escalates to this point. Uh, and I think as we start to learn about people's situations and where they come from, um, we can hopefully stop these situations from happening. So I'm assuming, like the caller before said, that this person had some sort of mental um, instability. Uh, so we, it's very tricky to judge someone's experience when they're um, in such mm-hmm. uh, mental or financial or whatever the case may be. The uh, um, instability is really hard to reason with. Um, and the other story I wanted to tell is that my brother was a cop in L.A., and when he was getting hired on the force, the training officer said, well, what are you going to do if you're being shot at? And my brother, you know, every being the kind man that he is, is, well, I'll try to uh, wound him first. Yeah. And the training officer said, who, who are you, John Wayne? Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, <laughs> you, know, you know, Marty, and it's interesting you make the point about mental illness. And from the from the perspective of the police on the scene, they they don't know why the guy is running. I mean, they, they don't know if it's a, right. a mental illness. Or they don't know if there's two bodies in the trunk. I mean, all, all they know is, hey, we tried to pull somebody over for a routine traffic stop, and now they're running, and now they're shooting at us. They they don't they don't have that benefit in this particular situation of knowing oh, what what's happened because all of a sudden, from a cop's perspective, like your brother's perspective, you, you've gone from like zero to 80 in like two seconds. It's like, hey, I was just trying to stop this car. Right. Next thing I know, they're running. Now he's shooting at me. What the heck am I, have I found myself in with? Yeah. Hey, thanks. Right. So, yeah, now, I, yeah. think, I think as we, oh, I was just going to say, as we move forward, I think the training is the key, right? It's when people say like defund the police, we'll know what they're saying is, Refund, yeah. uh, refund them in a different way. So maybe there's more opportunity. Thanks for Thank call. You. I appreciate. It. No, I appreciate. It. And again, I, I and and you see that. And you do have look. I I don't know what motivated this guy to run in the, these particular circumstances. You know, you you do see that. I think police are trying to be more sensitive. Where you have 
where you have some of the situations where you know the circumstances and you can try to reason people and talk them out of things. In this particular case, it's 1230, it's 1 o'clock or night. At night, the guy is fleeing. What can you end up doing? We're going to take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. But this is this is the hot story, and some people are seeing this is like George Floyd redo. I, I think... This one's a lot more complicated. And again, the unfortunate thing about this is none of this would have been necessary if the young man had just pulled his car over, put his hands on the steering wheel at 10 and 2, and taken a ticket for, uh, again, uh, having a brake light out or whatever. Now, again, if he's got a loaded gun in the car and a ski mask, it, it he would have probably had some explaining to do as to why he had that there. But that's a whole nother story. So very glad to have you with us. There was a, a state Supreme Court case that came out last week. I just want to offer a couple comments on it because it is legally, in my opinion, the right result. But it's it's a law that needs to be changed. Um, when when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office, when I was a federal prosecutor, the U.S. Attorney, the, my, my boss, that's a political appointee. And the president appoints the U.S. Attorney, who then has to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. And then there is a term that, that the U.S. Attorney has. However... Under federal law, the way it works is that the U.S. attorney always serves at the pleasure of the president. So it doesn't matter really what your term is. Let's say, um, you know, President Bush leaves office and President Biden comes on. What typically happens, since you've got a change in administration, a change of parties, what happens is the incoming administration goes to all the Republican, in this case, U.S. attorneys, and says, I want your resignation. And under the law, they, they can do that. They, they have... You've got a term, but it doesn't really matter what your term is. You serve at the pleasure of the president, and if there's a different president, chances are you're, you're going to be asked to, to resign, or otherwise you're, you're going to be fired. That That's just the way the law works. In Wisconsin, when it comes to appointees, at least for some of these boards, it, it's different. Um, th- there's a guy who's been on the State Department of Natural Resources Board. His name is Frederick, Frederick Prent, and he was appointed by Scott Walker. His term has expired. His six-year term has expired, and he, he's refusing to leave the, the office. The governor, Tony Evers, has appointed his replacement, but the Republicans who control the state Senate haven't scheduled a hearing on the the guy the replacement on the Evers appointee. So last week the state Supreme Court ruled, and I, I think it's a correct ruling under Wisconsin law, that Pren, the guy who's hanging on, even though his term is expired, he doesn't have to leave until his successor is confirmed. Now, this creates a problem because if you've got a Democratic governor like we have now in a Republican legislature, essentially somebody can just stay as long as the Republican legislature just decides that they're not going to confirm Evers' appointment. And I don't think, I think that's the correct decision under the law. But to me, it, it's a dumb law. <laughs> you know, clearly, the, the law needs to be changed to make clear that these, these appointees serve at the pleasure of the governor. Certainly, after their term expires, 
the, if the governor wants to demand their resignation or fire him, he should be able to do that. So I, I think it's the right decision, but it's a bad result. And my comment to Republicans in the legislature would be, maybe you should think about changing the law now, because there will be a time, not in the next two years or whatever, but there might be a time when you've got a Republican governor and a Democratic legislature who, who decide the turnabout is fair play. So it was the right decision by the Supreme Court, but it's still, I, I think, it's a bad result, and the bad result is because it's a bad law that needs to be changed. Okay, when we come back, Free Britney, Bidenomics 101, and lots more. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Mike Spalding, I got, I got good husband points yesterday. Nice job. Well, way it, to go. You know, so here's yeah. Well, it's it, I, I probably need it. So so here's the deal. So yesterday morning, played golf with my brother, and then in the afternoon, we went out. Our our, fr- our friends Dale and Maggie, they got a place on Little Cedar Lake, which is like outside of West Bend. And so we went out for they were having a cookout and stuff. So it's about forty five minutes from where I live. Okay, so we we go out, have a wonderful afternoon, watch the Brewers game, stuff like that, having the cookout. It rained a little bit, so we couldn't actually go out on the lake, but it was fine. Nice to see everybody. So we're we're driving we're driving back, and I admit. I'm, I'm really, really tired because we did a lot of stuff. It was all great. A lot of family things. Just a lot of fun. So all I want to do is get home last night and just kind of crash and pet the dog and watch something stupid on TV and get ready for the show. I just want to chill out. So we're coming back from Little Cedar Lake, and we are probably 15 minutes away from home. So we're about a 30 minutes from the place. And my lovely and charming wife looks at me, and she says, I've got Maggie's phone. I said, what do you mean you have Maggie's phone? She says, I put Maggie's phone in my purse. <laughs> and I, I first, I, so then I said, do you have your phone? She said, yeah, I've got my phone too. <laughs> so so now here we are. You know, we're we're a half hour away. She's got Maggie's phone. And, I, and then, of course, I, I start running through all the different permutations. I think Maggie really needs her phone. Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah, does she need it? It's nighttime. <laughs> does she, she need it and that. And, and then I, I quickly realized, no, we're, we're going to have to go back. And, of course, she says we have to go back. And she says, and so I, we call her husband Dale and say we've got Maggie's phone and you know we're we're bringing it back so then we turn around drive the 30 minutes back drop off the phone and and Dale actually says well I'm surprised you're still in a good mood about this. And I said, well, what, what are you going to do? And then we drive the next 45 minutes back. So it was, and, and my wife said, I'm, I'm glad you didn't get upset. And I'm thinking, well, what? I, I had this moment where I was starting to get upset, but then it occurred to me, it, this stuff happens, and there, there's, this is just what you got to do. Plus, yeah. it was a nice day for a drive. Yeah, well, beautiful night for a drive. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, there are just some of those instances. We had one of those recently at the Spalding House. Um, the bottom of our grill, our grill pan... Yeah, my wife was cooking and it fell off. Like okay. it was crooked, right? And it fell off. And it was one of those. She calls me and says, "Hey, don't be worried." Uh, but the like the grill. She said like broke. wasn't aware of what happened. Right. It was one of those exact moments where I was frustrated at the second, and right. then took a breath and was right. like, "Well, me being frustrated about it isn't going to fix the grill, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's permanently broken because it's the exact right. same thing. Is the grill broke? Okay, now we got to find a new all right. these things. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go home." Put the grill back together. I'm going to go inside and have an adult beverage, and everything's going to be just fine. We'll eat dinner 20 minutes later than we thought we were going to. Exactly. Yeah. Right, so what you're it. saying is our wives are lucky to have us as husbands. I, yeah, I'll say that right now in this safe space at WTMJ. I'll say yes. 
was it was it was it was it was kind of that. I said, oh, okay, well, it's fine. It's a nice. It's a, it, it, actually it was kind of a crummy afternoon because every once in a while, yesterday was like you have the, the it would be fine, and then it would just like pour rain, like the heavens mm-hmm. would open up. But bottom lines, Maggie got her phone. We got home safely. I, I got to kind of hang out and do what I wanted. Just about a half hour later than I would have otherwise. Yeah, did you been. get to pet the dog still? Chill. Pet the dog. The okay, dog yeah. was the dog was happy to see that. See that that's the great thing about having a dog. They're always. They're always just glad to see you. And so the, all, all the dog was, hey, you were supposed to be home an hour ago, Dad, but I blamed it on Mom, so it all kind of worked out. So, I, But that's it is. I got good husband points because I was being understanding for that. I just sent this out on, on Twitter, and this is one of these. It's Again, it's one of those tweets that I think perhaps, as I often do on this program, because I, I try to be rational and sane about things, I, I end up irritating people on both sides. Here, The Journal Sentinel had, as I describe it, one of these typical, the headline exhibits the, the over-the-top liberal bias that the Journal Sentinel is absolutely famous for. But at the same time, I, I've got to concede that it's hard to argue with the sentiment. The, 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 this is the headline. An incompetent circus, quote unquote. Michael Gableman's 2020 election review reaches one year and the $1 million mark with little to show. That's a story by Molly Beck. And, and again, it, it's, you would never have a comparable sort of headline if they, they were upset with or somebody was upset with something that they had done from the left because it's just not the way the newsroom is, is geared, especially like the headline writers. So it's an over-the-top headline, an incompetent circus. you know. But at the same time, it is hard to argue with the sentiment for my Republican friends who are listening that this Gableman investigation into the 2020 election should have wrapped up a long time ago. As I have said repeatedly, I don't believe there was election fraud in the 2020 elections. What I believe happened is there were there are vagaries in Wisconsin law where things are are just unclear what's allowed and what's not allowed. And I do think you had some election clerks in primarily Democratic areas who took some who made some interpretations of state law in order to that had the effect of kind of boosting the the vote and in in their areas, which had the effect of getting more Democrat voters to, to vote and. and to me, that's not fraud. It needs to be resolved because you have to decide, okay, is what they did, was it permitted by the law or wasn't it permitted by the law? And you need to either have the state Supreme Court clarify it or the legislature and the governor get together and we make the election laws clear. Again, it's it's not fraud. And the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty did a report months and months ago which identified some of these legitimate questions that were there. But again, it, it's not fraud that, that exists and and to me fraud is i don't know you you get 200 imaginary people and and have them vote or you go and find 50 people that died and somebody votes for them that's not what happened it was interpretations of the law and the way you you fix that is again from the Republican perspective, I think the law was being misinterpreted. What you do is you elect a Republican governor who gets together with the Republicans in the legislature and you make clear what the law says. And and the 
thing to allow like the Gableman investigation to go on and on and on, to spin off into all these sideshows and contempt findings and to spend a million dollars of taxpayer money, it's clearly gotten completely and totally out of control. So, you know, I mean, again, the headline and the story, an incompetent circus, you would never see something like that again if the, if the sides were switched. But having said that, it's difficult to argue that you know th- this investigation it- it's time for both parties to start concentrating on the 2022 elections which are coming up in in just a few months and obsess less about what went on in 2020 because the truth is if you want to make sure if you think that what happened in 2020 was bad and you think there was ripoffs or whatever the best way to make sure that doesn't happen again is to focus on the 2022 election get your people elected regardless of which side of the aisle we're talking about and make the changes in the law to eliminate some of, of the discretion that was or the interpretations that came out. It, it's really that simple. But I've always believed you need to be forward looking. And I appreciate the sentiment of starting this investigation, but it's gone on way, 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 way too long. And now it has become, I, I think, a, a sideshow. And the sooner it is shut down, the better it's going to be for everybody, Republicans, Democrats, and all the taxpayers in the state of Wisconsin. So very glad to have you with us. All right, let us switch gears. I I know we discussed this a little bit last week, but there has been a, a new development Brittany Griner, she is the 31-year-old Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin women's professional basketball star who is now, she's been detained in Russia since February. What happens is with these WNBA players, they, they make, in the offseason, they typically go overseas and play in Europe or other places. Some of them play in you know South America, but they, they go to other places and they, they make money playing for professional teams there. Then they come back and they play in the WNBA. So um, Brittany Griner, a couple weeks before Russia invaded Ukraine, but right when the buildup was going on, makes the decision that she is going to go and rejoin the team that she plays for in in Russia. Okay. Now, you, you can argue that that was a very, very poor decision given what's what's going on. But she makes the decision right before they had invaded, but the invasion was was close. So she flies into one. Of, she flies into Moscow. According to Russian authorities, she's got a couple vape cartridges that have a very small quantity of hashish oil in them. I mean. It's, I think it's less than a gram, and a nickel weighs five grams. So it's a very, very small quantity, but um, it is illegal to possess and to bring these these this stuff, regardless of quantity. It's illegal to bring it into the country. So here you have they're in the Russia's in the ve- in verge of war. She's going to Russia. She's carrying, arguably, and it's assumed for the sake of argument that this is correct, she's got a couple of these cartridges that have contraband with her. She gets uh, arrested. The penalty for doing this is 10 years in prison. So she gets arrested. Then what happens is, I, I think under normal circumstances, what you would have seen happen is she would have been 
detained for 30 days, given a fine, and then a, and then uh, deported from the country. I think that's what would happen under normal circumstances, because this isn't Midnight Express. It's not like she's smuggling tons of heroin into the country or out of the country. It's it's clearly what I think are personal use, you know, a couple vape cartridges in small quantity. But, of course, this isn't normal times. Two weeks later, uh, Putin invades Ukraine. The West then responds like the West has done and pretty much makes um, Russia uh, an international pariah. There's all these sanctions, etc. And now, you know, Russia has this high-profile female basketball player who is now detained. And I think what's going on is, is Russia is deciding to use her as a political pawn. Her trial started on Friday. Russian trials um Almost, I think less than one percent end in in acquittals, and it, it does sound like for it does sound like to me like she she's guilty of of this. That I think she she had this stuff in her possession. Um, whether she knew it was illegal, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. She she's done that. So now you know she's in custody. It is very clear that Putin is trying to use her kind of as a political pawn, and all the speculation is that Russia wants to trade her. For, you know, we'll release Brittany Griner, you know, who we caught with a couple vape cartridges. If you release a guy who's known, it's, it's Victor something or other, who is referred to as the Merchant of Death, who is an international arms dealer with ties to Russia, who was caught trying to sell surface-to-air missiles to what he thought was somebody who wanted to blow American planes out of the sky and is now serving a 25-year sentence in the United States. So that's kind of the background on this. Brittany Griner and her supporters have now gone public in trying to, I guess, pressure the, the Biden administration to, to make some sort of deal to get her out. She apparently wrote a, a handwritten letter that was delivered yesterday to the White House. As I sit here in a Russian prison alone with my thoughts and without the protection of my wife, my family, my friends, my Olympic jersey or any accomplishments, I am terrified I might be here um, forever. And then it says, you know, I, we, we want you to you know, do everything you can to try to bring me home. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a a very, very difficult decision, and it's another demonstration of of why Russia is, in fact, the evil empire that you would detain this woman under these circumstances for as long as they have for what really is a very, very minor sort of offense. Having said that, if if the, the idea is you're going to trade her release in order to release some international arms dealer who was getting ready to sell surface-to-air missiles to someone who's going to shoot American planes out of the sky. I, I just, I don't, just like I don't think you can negotiate with terrorists, I don't think that you can negotiate with, in this case, a, a rogue government. And that's not to say I am not incredibly sympathetic to the situation this woman finds herself in. And I have no doubt that if it was... You know, a family member of mine that was in a similar circumstance, you know, I'd be asking the Biden administration to do everything they possibly could. But at the same time, if you take a step back, can you cut a deal like this? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jim in Bayview. Jim, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Sure. I'll tell you, I mean, I agree with you as far as, you know, it's a very small amount and all that, but, uh, 
you know, I've watched that program on TV, Drugs, Inc., and uh, yeah. when Americans are abroad in other countries, uh, you know, you're you're uh, under uh, their rule and their laws, and uh, if you're caught with something in your baggage bringing it in, uh, you you really have to pay the consequences. I You know, those, there's a lot of Americans, I think, around the world that are behind uh, bars because of exactly that, and I... You know, okay, well, I, let me ask you this: Do you think she would, Jim? Do you think she yeah. would have been treated the same way if this was two years ago? I mean, obviously, right now we're you know there, there's the war in Ukraine and there's the, all the sanctions against Russia. If this had happened two years ago, before all that stuff, do you think they'd be treating her the same? Oh no, I I don't think so at all. And then you know, Russia, they know she's a pro athlete. And so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're looking at her as some kind of valuable piece, you know. Yeah. And But to trade her, you know, and she might get 10 years, to trade her for a guy that's going to serve 25, that's not an even exchange. No, no, thanks. See, and again, and that's, no, I'm with you. See, and that, that's why I don't, I just don't think you can deal with terrorists in that regard. And I, do I think she is being held as a political pawn? Absolutely. There, there's no question about it. Look, w- was it a, a poorly considered decision to go to go back to Russia under these circumstances, absolutely, and and maybe that's a teachable moment for other people. Secondly, to the extent that she knew that she had these cartridges and stuff in her luggage, that that is just incredibly stupid. There's there's no question about it. But at the same time, I think if we're being realistic. If if she wasn't Brittany Griner and there wasn't what was going on now in the world, I, I suspect what would have happened is she would have been fined maybe 30 days in the Huskow and they would have deported her. I think Russia realizes that they've got a potential bargaining chip now and they're going to try to leverage something out of the White House. And I guess I just don't think that Joe Biden can do it. And it doesn't mean I'm not sympathetic to Brittany Griner, who I, I think now finds herself used as a political pawn, even though she put herself in that situation in the first place. Going to be tough to see how the Biden administration reacts to this. Yeah, as a number of you are pointing out, <clears throat> the irony is that um, Brittany Griner, who is now detained in Russia over a small quantity of hashish oil and is asking the president to intercede on her behalf. She was one of the, the vocal WNBA players who a couple of years ago called on the WNBA, the Women's Professional Basketball League, to stop playing the, the star-spangled banner. Ayana, and she refused to come out on the court uh, during during the, the playing of this. Um, I personally don't, uh, you know, she says she doesn't believe that it should be played at sports and things of the like. So I, I do appreciate that there is there is an irony to, um, again, somebody who was uh, saying, okay, we, we shouldn't be playing the Star Spangled Banner, you know, before games, and I'm going to boycott the, the anthem who is now in custody and asking the United States to intercede and, and get her out. But that doesn't change the fact that um, I think she's being used as a political pawn. The problem is that, again, there, there's just you, you can't trade her release for an arms dealer. Trading, negotiating with negotiating with you know terrorists, and that's the way the Russian government is behaving in this situation, is just you, you can't do it because all it does is it green lights 
for example, Russia to, you know, just arrest and unreasonably detain all sorts of other American citizens who might be traveling abroad. And in this particular case, she shouldn't have gone back to Russia, and she certainly shouldn't have had the, you know, hashish oil, small a quantity as it is, in her possession. So she's a political pawn. You want to get her back. You want to get her home. Um, hopefully Russia will do the right thing, but I, you don't, you'd go broke kind of waiting for that to happen. Speaking of airports, I was talking to a, an acquaintance of mine, a friend of mine, who just traveled recently. And my question was, now that it is optional to wear masks on, on airplanes, what percentage of people did you see that were wearing them? As a matter of fact, my, my wife and a friend and her granddaughter and one of her granddaughter's friends, they're going to Florida for a week, um, leaving on, on Saturday. And for the first time, I think this will be the first trip that she's been on. Um, this will be the first time that she's flown in the last couple of years where there hasn't been a mandatory requirement that you wear masks on airplanes. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't wear masks on, on airplanes. And I, I candidly, I'm not sure what decision that, that she's going to to make, but it, it is up to people. So anyhow, a friend of mine traveling in the last like week or so, and I said, okay, it, it was a longer flight. I said, I'm just curious, what percentage of the people on your plane would you say we're wearing masks still? And my buddy said, well, he would estimate it was maybe one in five. That was kind of what the percentage was. And he said there was one flight attendant who was was wearing masks. None of the other flight attendant had masks on. But there was, he's estimated that it was about, you know, one in five that were doing that. Now there's a, a story the Chicago Tribune had that, again, it's it's sort of difficult because it's going to depend on, you know, where you're going and what time of day it is and probably where the flights are. But the Chicago Tribune says that, you know, they, they, they've been doing surveys of people going through O'Hare, and the estimate is maybe as many as 25% of people are still continuing to wear masks. More female travelers than male travelers wearing masks. But again, it's in that about one out of every four. My friend said his estimate was it was about one out of every five. All right, I want to conduct my own survey. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The next time you travel on an airplane, you are not required to wear a mask unless you're flying into Canada. That's a whole different story. But you're not required to wear a mask, but it's certainly your option to do it. Are you going to continue to wear masks on airlines? Why or why not? 855-616-1620. Tell you what I'm going to do in just a minute. But I'm curious, you know, how are you handling the fact that the mask mandates have now been lifted? Most people aren't wearing masks, but I think a good percentage still are. What are you, how will you handle it? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. But it is kind of interesting. Somebody I was talking to just got back from an airplane trip and was telling me his estimate was about one in five people were wearing masks. Chicago Tribune did sort of an informal survey at O'Hare. They found they thought maybe as many as 25 percent were. My wife is flying, going to Florida for a week on Saturday. I don't know if she's going to wear a mask or not. My next flight, four weeks from today, we're, we're doing our listener trip and cruise in Alaska. And I guess at, at right now, 
I, I don't. If you were to ask me, Jeff, do you intend to wear a mask on on the flight up to you know Anchorage? My answer would be I don't. Um, I, I don't. I don't have any problem with people who choose to wear masks, but I, I think I'm kind of over it. But my question is, and, and again, I was one that if if they said you had to wear the mask, I'll, I'll wear the mask. But if you're giving me the option. I'm probably going to be one of that 80 to 90% of the people who aren't. Where are you? 855-616-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I'm with the 80% that would not. I will not wear a mask. If it was mandatory, I would. But number one, I think they're uncomfortable. I would wear it if I had to. Uh, Number two, I think the uh, airplane cabin is better filtered than most buildings. Mm -hmm. And number three, I've been vaccinated, so I'm, I'm done with this mask thing. So you're past. Now, thanks. Well, I think a lot of people, you know, are, are kind of making, you know, that decision that, that's out there. And I and I again, I don't fault. It, and I think that's kind of where I would be. Bill and O'Connor walk. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Bill. Going? Good. What do you think? Um, I'm definitely not wearing a mask. Um, I I did a lot of traveling during the COVID days and uh Obviously, you had to wear the mask. I missed the extension. They extended the mask uh, mandate for a while. Right. Um, unfortunately, I traveled during that time as well. And uh, my biggest reason is the filtration in airplanes is much better, like like the earlier gentleman mm-hmm. mentioned, much better than homes or you know schools, commercial buildings. It's it's HEPA filtration. Mm-hmm. What was your what was your biggest objection to wearing a mask? Let's say you're on a three hour flight or something. What what was your biggest objection object, objection when you had to do it? Just uh, just the comfort factor, you know. And and again, the the, the effectiveness of them uh-huh. and it yeah it was it was difficult. Okay, no thanks. For, again, it's it's an individual choice. I'm just kind of curious. Let's talk to John and Racine. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon to you, Jeff. Um, I'm not wearing a mask. I fly often every month. Uh, in the last month, I've been to Salt Lake, Vegas, and West Palm. And I'd say that maybe, you know, two months ago, I'd go with 20%, 25%. i would say it's more like 10% now. Okay. I just came home this weekend. Okay. Very few masks. Yeah, so you think it, and, and your experience has been more people were wearing it um, like a month ago or so. And, yeah. 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 My guess is, no, thanks a lot for the call. I, I think that's, I, I, am, I am kind of, I am kind of curious. I'm kind of curious to hear what my wife says about that. And, um, but I, I think that that's sort of where I am as well. And I want to be real clear here. If, if you want to wear a mask on a plane, that that's okay with me. I mean, I'm, I'm not judgmental that way, but. Um, I guess I've never been convinced that for you know people who are who are vaccinated, and in my case, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted, I've had it. I, I'm, I mean, I'm just I'm not convinced that the masks, especially the way people wear masks, you know, whether it's or the way people wear masks, I, I'm not sure on an airplane setting how much more effective that is. But again, don't argue with me about it. I, if if you feel that it makes a big difference, that that's okay. I respect that. Um, Jeff, I don't wear masks. Jeff, I rarely wear a mask when it was required, and almost always people ask me to put one on, which I would, um, but my glasses fog up, and it wasn't comfortable for me to do so. So, uh, no, I'm not uh, doing that. Jeff, um, this is a picture I took at the Reagan Airport last week returning from Florida. 
Florida. Reagan's, of course, in D.C. I don't think more than 10% wore masks. Somebody just texted me and said that they flew back over the weekend, and they would estimate that maybe it was less than 1% of the people that were on their flights were wearing masks. And again, it's it's an individual choice that people make, but I think more and more people have kind of demonstrated that they're they're moving on from this. And I mean, one of the things that we're seeing, and it's good news, is that the the incidences of hospitalizations and COVID and things have dramatically declined. So it, it tells me that we're there is light at the end of the tunnel that we're moving past the the pandemic. But again, if people want if they think that the mask protects themselves or certainly if, if they're sick, the mask clearly protects others. I'm not going to beat them up on that. Lois in Port Washington. Lois, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. We just came back from eight days in Florida. We went to Disney. Very few people had a mask on there. And in the airport, I would say it's even maybe 5% that had a mask on. I didn't see anybody in our airplane with one on. But if they told me I had to wear it, I'd wear it. I wouldn't fuss about it. But if I have the option, I'm not wearing it, and and life goes on. Yeah, no, thanks. I think and so yeah. I think that that's kind of how I was too. I I, I find masks to be uncomfortable. I am, I, and again, I don't want to argue about whether they're how effective they are after you know people have been vaccinated and, and all that sort of stuff. I don't want to argue about how effective they are or not. That we're past that particular conversation. But the bottom line is I think that you're starting to see those sort of numbers that are out there. Susan in Cedarburg. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just got back flying home from a cruise in Alaska and uh, we were masked. The people next to me both had masks on, and these people who are saying the air circulation is so wonderful on a plane these days, I don't think they've been in a plane because it is not good. One of the air air areas didn't even work for my husband. Um, The way you're stuffed in those planes, I wear a mask, always have worn a mask when I fly because people come into a plane and they're coughing and they're sick, Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get it because when I get to where I'm going, I don't want to have a cold because every time I get out of a plane, you know, mm-hmm. from the end, you're getting a cold or something. You get sick. And well, I don't want to end up where I'm going with sick. So, yes, I wear a mask, and I am darn proud of it. How many people on the plane would you say, what percentage would you, would you say were wearing masks? 5%, 10%, I 20%? I, there were quite a few wearing a mask. And as I said, the the two people next to me were wearing a mask. The people next to my husband on the other side of the aisle were wearing masks. And, you know, that's all I was paying attention to. But um, wearing a mask. I mean, the guy next to me is coughing his brains out. And I don't want to get his germs out, you know. Then you need uh, him to wear a mask. In the air. (laughs) Thanks for the call, Susan. Then you need him to wear a mask. Thanks for I I understand what you're talking about with that. I I inevitably, um, forgetting the whole COVID issue, that's... I haven't had a cold in ages, and, and typically I'm, I'm on the airplane and there's some, like, six-year-old or seven- or eight-year-old behind me who's coughing up a lung or sneezing all over and things like that. But they're the ones that you want to have have the masks on because they're little germ factories. In any event, it's kind of going to be sort of interesting to see how this works out. A lot, a lot of text on this. I, I would say most people, 
think that that 20% estimate is a little bit, is a lot high, as a matter of fact. And I think people are ending up making those different decisions. And that's all, that's all well and good as to how you decide to do it. But it is now your choice. 1-800-848-9222. 